those reasons are that they will be fulfilled according to your purpose in our lives. Transform us, Lord, into your image, into your likeness. And Jesus, we just pray that you'll, you'll be with each attendee, Lord. Keep us safe. Lord, we pray for Alistair, Lord. He, he needs your prayers right now as he's in the hospital. We want to keep that before our minds, Lord. And we just pray that, that your Holy Spirit will come down and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. Send it, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your holy and precious name, amen. Something is happening. I work with Dr. Samuel Quarantine Pippin, and he says that over and over again. And many times I think, Dr. Pippin, nothing's happening. You keep saying something's happening. And sometimes we come here and what's happening, what's happening? Nothing's happening. The point of this session, something is happening. It's called something is happening, by the way. Is to let you know what? Something is happening. Uh, and we want to get young people involved as well. I'm going to invite the Lovett couple here. Um, as you can see, they are... She's, she's beautifully dressed and he's interesting here. Um, what is happening with you guys? What is happening with you guys? Who are you guys? I want you to introduce you guys and, and uh, let us know who you are. <laughs> my name is Jonathan Lovett. This is my wife, Karen Lovett. And we have been church planting among the Gorkha people in India for the last two and a half years. Okay. Now, I understand these are missionaries, but these are not your normal missionaries. They are a special class of missionaries. And as you can see with the uniform that Jonathan's wearing, he is a special elite class of missionaries. Uh, before you became missionaries, what were you guys? Tell us about you guys before you went into the mission field. Before we applied and joined AFM, Adventist Frontier Missions, I was involved in social services, and my husband was building houses. Okay. Now, what actually caused you, what, what was this drive or what this attraction or what caused you to cross the pond and go over to that other place across over there? That's a good question. I heard a very, very compelling presentation by another missionary of where the resources are in the world. Where do most of the Christians live? Where are the Bibles? Where are the Christian literature? Um, where are the radio programs? All the resources that we're so used to, where are most of the, those things located? And where are the unreached people and those that don't have the books and the radio and, and all those kinds of things. And I, I could see that I was also a resource. My time, my money, my talents, um, my life. I'm a resource. And um, so I had to pray and ask God, help me to know, can you use me somewhere else where there's fewer resources available? Okay, so here you are. You're convicted to use your resources that you have and you want to use it to people who don't have as many resources. Now, where were you guys serving for the past two years or so? We were in India, Darjeeling, India. It's actually in the far north. Um, we actually live at an elevation of about 7,000 feet, so it's quite cool there. So we're accustomed to the weather here. Um, and <laughs> Okay. So you're 7,000 feet above sea level in India. Can you describe what are the people like there? What's the predominant religion? What was it like when you first got there? Like, we want to know. We've never... I mean, I've never been to India. Like, what, what do people do in India? Well, the predominant people that we work with are the Gorkha, and um, they are basically ethnically Nepali. They speak Nepali. Um, they have Nepali traditions. And actually, this is a Nepali hat. Um, and uh, 
I'm sorry. Okay, so you're wearing a Nepali hat, and yeah. these are people from Nepal who have come down into India, Correct. and you're there to, to do what? To do what? Go ahead. To church plant. To church plant. Um, okay. Before 2004, there were no Seventh-day Adventists in Darjeeling, India. And now there's a small group meeting, and we want to see um, a self-sustaining church movement begin there that can go through the uh, surrounding Darjeeling Hills and into Nepal or... Let me get this straight. You are the first Seventh-day Adventists in this area. The, let me clarify. The, okay. the first Seventh-day Adventist was baptized in 2004. Amen. In Isn't that Before exciting? Then, there were none. Now, these are, now AFM is looking for, for a, a subtype of missionary to go out and wear these interesting hats and clothes and to get into the culture. Now, let, let's actually, let's, what, how are you engaging the culture there? What are some things you're learning or putting together or, or, or stuff like that? We've spent the last two and a half years studying the language and the culture, and we've put together a book that we've written on the culture, which is about 500 pages long. Okay. And the goal of that is we're, when, as soon as we get back, we're going to begin to write a series of lessons that is specifically targeting the Nepali people, their minds, and the way they think and what they value. Okay. I understand you're also learning the language. Describe that a little bit. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> hey, you know, um, maybe Americans have kind of a bad reputation for being <laughs> monolingual, and that was me. And I went over there and, and had to become bilingual. Can I ask you a question? Like, this is unrehearsed. Now, you're, you're an American, you're Caucasian, you're white, but you have red hair. Do, do the locals comment on that? I'm just curious. This is off the record, so if, you know, whatever. What, what, do they say anything about that? They do sometimes comment on my hair, but more frequently they comment on my freckles. Your freckles. Oh, it wow. could be a catching skin disease. Nobody wants something incurable foreign disease. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what, what that's about. So there's a high learning curve. You've got to engage the culture, and you're, you're there for Jesus Christ. Yeah. What, can you explain what is AFM really trying to do? What's their mission? What are their needs? What, how can we help AFM in any way? Well, at AFM, what we try to do is we try to look at the places in the world that are not growing. Okay. Um, Maybe the country is growing as a whole, but perhaps there are particular parts of that country that are not having any type of growth. Uh -huh. We look for those type of places. And if I had to say that AFM has one of the, a, their largest need is people. Uh -huh. um, that is absolutely, bar none, the highest need that we have. Uh, I know Jonathan was telling me before that the Lord has resources. He has money. He's got all this, the, the pamphlets. He's got airplanes. He's got everything. The one thing he needs is what? People. People. People who are, have the willingness to go out and do something. Um, how can people get plugged into AFM? Like, How can people at GYC and, and people behind the camera, how can they plug into this? Can they just, hey, I want to go to, to India, and, and what, what can they do? First of all, they should come by the booth in the exhibition hall and okay. talk to ourselves, talk to John Baxter, and um, maybe we can help point you in some direction. You want to talk about this a little bit? Okay. What she's holding up here is the Sabbath School Quarterly. How many of you brought your Sabbath School Quarterly to GYC? God bless your hearts. Now, if you actually look at the back, and I don't know if you actually look at the back, there's nice maps, and sometimes I look at this when the Sabbath School is boring. You just stare at this. And it's on India, yes? The Southern Asia something Majig division. And there's two countries here, Nepal and Bhutan. 
Can you describe, I know you were talking about Bhutan before, can you describe that? What's happening in Bhutan? Bhutan is a very small country. It has about 2.5 million people, and it is the world's only Buddhist nation at this time. Um, it is extremely resistant and closed to Christianity, so not much is happening right there. Um, we would like to see something happen there. Okay. What we need is, we need, I want you to take this. We need young people to engage the culture of all the unreached societies out there, and AFM is looking for some high-quality elite people. Do you want to be a missionary? Amen, friends? Amen. Thank you so much, Lovitz. I want to invite Pastor Ivor Myers to come up here. And there's something going We just talked about India. We talked about Nepal and, and hats here. What is going on? I know you're doing a project of a global nature yourself. What is going on in your side of the world? Okay. Uh, how many of you have heard of Operation Global Rain? Amen. Uh, 2007, this year, we had a grassroots movement begin, uh, the purpose of which to see the loud cry go to the whole world. Uh, in June of this year, we saw over 1,850 churches in over 80 countries join in Operation Global Rain to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, maybe you can describe this. I don't know anything about Operation, well, I do, but I'm, I'm kind of lying on TV. What is, what is Operation Global Rain? Are you trying to create a, a rain cloud system to make it rain here on Earth like because of, of global warming? What is it actually? Yeah, the mission of Operation Global Rain is to unite the church in praying uh, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we are able to finish the work in this world. Okay, so it's a 10-day uh, meeting, where, Ten day meeting where people get together where and people pray get together? together and pray. Okay, yeah. now what happened this year and now what's going to happen because of that event this coming year? Right, this year was only the beginning of something uh, that we believe is just incredible. Uh, in 2008, we're introducing what we call Operation Global Rain 360. How many of you have heard of that? OGR 360. Beginning this year, January 2nd, we're going to have another 10 days of prayer. This one is going to be focused not only for, on the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit, but on former and inactive Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, after this 10 days of prayer, we're going to spend the next uh, three months just reaching out on a global scale to those who were members but are no longer attending. Uh, following that, we're going to have another 10-day of prayer period uh, beginning in May. And in May, the focus is going to be on non-members. And so we're going to be praying specifically for power to go out and to reach uh, uh, those who do not know this message. Uh, the third meeting uh, will take place in August. All of this information is on the website, by the way, www.operationglobalrain.com. Uh, the third meeting will be along the same lines. We're going to go out, we're going to pray, and then we're going to go and attempt to reach the world. One thing we have in particular that I'm excited about is what we're calling Global Storm. And a global storm will take place uh, in September. It'll be a 10-day uh, intensive door-to-door -door missionary outreach. Does that sound exciting? Just imagine that on a global scale, 10 days of an intensive door-to-door uh, uh, work around okay, the world. Okay, I'm getting overwhelmed here. I'm getting overwhelmed here. So, in 2008, there are three 10-day periods. Three 10-day periods. The first 10-day period is dedicated to? 
Former and inactive. Former and inactive. How many raise your hands? No, former or inactive Seventh Day Adventists. Okay, you got. You're all advertising that to those people. Okay. The second the ten day period is for who? It's for non-members. Non-Christians. How many of you, by raise of hands, know? Hopefully, you know some non-Christians. God bless your hearts. Okay. Now you're going to advertise to them. And then the third group is for it's who? It's the same. It's the same. Okay. It's, it's the same. Okay. It's the same. Now, what's happening in 2009? Okay. In 2009, that this is our, you know, dream big, think big, plan big. 2009, we are planning what we're calling the World Series. The World Series. And what that is, is not a game. <laughs> what that is, is we are planning a, a 10 to 14 day evangelistic series that will happen on a global scale. Uh, preaching the three angels' messages in connection with righteousness by faith. Amen. And we want to see hundreds and thousands of pastors, lay people just as yourselves out there preaching, holding meetings, almost like a share hymn, but on a global scale. Uh-huh. And so that's what we're calling World Series and plans are already underway to, to see this happen in 2009. Okay. Just one more time. If, if they want to get plugged into this, where's the website they can go into? The website is Operation Global Rain. OperationGlobalRain.com And they made it long just so you can help remember in your mind. Um, what we're trying to do is here, every young person in this, in this, whatever you call it, this building, we need to think big. Amen? And here we have we're Pastor Ivor Myers, but all of us have the potential to do something. Amen? And then next year when we come to GYC, you can say, you know, something is happening. And you know what? I just started Operation Global snowstorm, you know, whatever. And I started, you know, da-da-da-da. And this is the way the Lord works. Amen? Yeah, I'd like to mention very quickly, um, uh, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, there's an incredible vision. Uh, Ezekiel sees these living creatures, and then he sees, sees his vision of a wheel within a wheel. How many of you are familiar with that vision? Ellen White writes on that vision, and I just want to read very quickly what she says. She says, it is God's plan that every part of his work shall depend upon every other part as a wheel within a wheel, all acting in harmony. That wheel represents the work of God on earth in harmony with the work of God in heaven. Um, wheels get us places. I'd like for you to say some, something with me. Broken wheels don't roll. Can you say that with me? Broken wheels don't roll. If God's church is not acting in harmony, we can't go anywhere. And you think about how many of us are in our own part of the field doing our thing and uh, focusing on our part of the work. And I believe that God is calling movements like GYC, Operation Global Reign, to unite all of us, the entire church, to have a focused mission of bringing the loud cry message <clears throat> to the world. And so... I want you to, to remember that, that thought. Broken wheels don't roll. Broken wheels don't roll. It's time for us to fix the wheel, to work together, united and in harmony, to see this message go to the world. Amen. 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 It's our prayer here that all of us make sure something is happening. Amen, friends? Thank you so much. Certainly something is happening and will happen this afternoon because it's going to be my privilege to introduce to you the first plenary speaker 
for 2007 GYC. Many of us have known her as Andrea Oliver, the first president of GYC and currently the executive secretary. And we know her as brilliant and godly. Andrea graduated from Princeton University. She studied sociology, Spanish, and Arabic. She proceeded to law school at one of the prestigious institutions in our country, Washington and Lee Law School. While there, Andrea did exceptionally well. In fact, she was a staff writer for the Journal of Civil Rights and Social Justice. While at Princeton, working through the government of the uh, Princeton University's Office of Government Affairs, it was Andrea's privilege to edit official correspondences to national and international dignitaries. In the course of her career, Andrea has engaged people of diverse backgrounds, including U.S. congressmen, well-known human rights activists, intellectuals, juvenile fellows, working class citizens, law enforcement, and countless others. Those who have known Andrea do recognize her for her hard work and her tireless commitment to causes she believes in. I have known Andrea since the inception of GYC, especially the formative phase. She was the embodiment of GYC. After her studies at Princeton, she came to campus as a missionary. She took a year off and then went back to law school. And during her study at law school, Andrea took on a tremendous assignment of organizing GYC. Andrea represents true biblical humanhood. When the world calls upon women to be wholly feminist, Andrea has chosen to be a holy female. She is no ordinary black woman. When racial segregation has become acceptable feature of political expediency, even in the church, Andrea believes in racial harmony. What you see here at GYC is part of the ideal Andrea stands for. She is no ordinary Adventist who has settled for the mediocrity of cultural Adventism. Andrea aspires to excellence, academic and professional excellence combined with spirituality, and she is extremely humble. The sheer force of Andrea's character and personality has shaped GYC as we know it today. But there is more about Andrea. This young lady experienced a remarkable conversion, a remarkable transformation experience during her college years. And it is from this that she felt compelled to give and dedicate her life for the cause of GYC. This afternoon will be the last time Andrea will stand before us in her official capacity as the secretary of GYC. She represents the very best of GYC, what God calls us to be. And so as you listen to her testimony, may the Holy Spirit challenge and inspire us to be the very best that we can be. After the special music from the Hillsview Trio, the next voice you are going to hear is Andrea Oliver, an attorney-in-law, and the very best the church has to offer.
Good afternoon. 
appreciate Dr. Pippum's remarks so much. He almost made me cry backstage. You know, it's funny. One day I was at the Center for Adventist Ministry to public university students, and Israel Ramos came up to me and he said, Andrea, everyone knows that Dr. Pippum thinks that you're Ellen White Jr. Why are you laughing? (laughs) But then he added, but I know the truth. (laughs) I'm no Ellen White Jr., as you'll soon find out. But I can say that God has worked marvelously in my life and he has transformed me. The personal test, the, the plenary sessions during GYC this year are focusing on personal testimonies. And so the programming committee asked me to share my, my personal testimony with you. Never been in a gang, never done drugs, never ran away from home. In fact, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church like many of you have. But I believe that I have a testimony that many of you can relate to. I pray that you'll be challenged and I pray that you'll be encouraged. Before we go any further, I want to pray. Please join me in prayer. Eternal Father in heaven, I come before you so grateful for how you have given me my life back. I thank you, Lord, for how you've worked in my life since 1999 and throughout my entire life. And now, Lord, I want to share what you have done for me that hopefully would encourage these young people here. Father, the Apostle John says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. If we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Father in heaven, I am asking today that you'll bless us with your Holy Spirit. You say that you love to give good gifts to your children. I pray, Father, that you'll please anoint these feeble lips. I am entirely dependent upon you. I have no power of myself, Heavenly Father, to convey a powerful message. And so I am completely and entirely dependent upon Christ. Please give me your message, Heavenly Father. And I pray, Father, that you'll please be with everyone here. Please be with us. Please prepare our hearts to receive the message that the Holy Spirit has for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you will apply this message to each life here. That when we leave, we may realize that God has been with us. Father, we ask all these things, trusting and believing that you've already set out to answer this humble prayer. For I ask it and pray it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. It was a random day in the winter of 1999. Three o'clock in the morning, I was walking back to my dorm room. The morning was clear. The sky was dark and full of stars. The air was fresh. It was clean. It was crisp. And yet, my mind was in a state of unrest. In fact, my entire freshman year at Princeton had been characterized by perpetual uneasiness. You see, I wasn't on my way back at three in the morning from an all-night Bible study. Neither was I on my way back from an all-night prayer session. I was back from a party. And I wasn't there to do Bible studies either. (laughs) 
In fact, my, my friends had given me a name that year, a nickname. It was Perma-D. You want to guess what that stood for? Permanently drunk. I wasn't permanently drunk for the record, but I knew how to party and so did my friends. But at the same time, through all the noise, through all the music, through the, all the excitement, through the meaningless chit-chat and nothingness, that still small voice of God penetrated to my heart. And he said, Andrea, you know I have not created you for this. Why are you here? But how did I get there? I have been raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I had a great upbringing. But you know, I had become so jaded, so disenchanted for what often passed for religion. I got tired of the many, what I thought were unintelligent, boring, dry, peace and safety sermons I heard all the time from many a pulpit. The thoughts in my mind were, I'm not impressed by your fancy words. Eschatology, Christology, soteriology, and all your other ologies. I don't care. I'm lost. I'm not, I need to meet Jesus and I'm not finding him here. You're not impressing me. You're wasting my time. I got tired of seeing the same dry, boring hymns. They were boring to me because I didn't have an experience with God. But I got tired of seeing the same hymns in the same dry, limp, anemic manner. I hear people singing. Yeah, I love to tell a story. You love to tell a story? Yeah, right. Why aren't you telling anyone? You love to tell a story? I bet you do. I hear, I hear you telling all kinds of stories. Yapping away in the church before you're talking about so-and-so. It's called gossip. I got sick and tired of it. You know, it just seems like all the adults that I saw in all these churches just lived for 12, 15 when they could leave the church, run home so they wouldn't be late for their Sabbath afternoon nap. That's not religion to me. But most of all, I got tired of, of this image of God who was like this big authoritarian in the sky waiting to zap me for my many sins. I got tired of a, a Christianity that was characterized by perpetual uncertainty about my status with God. And I didn't want it. The time came for me to go off to college. And I had done very well in high school. I worked hard. And I got mail from all kinds of colleges. They used to call me and say, Andrea, come to our school. We think you really like it here. And uh, someone laughed out there. It's true. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I finally settled on Princeton University. And uh, I just, you know, I was ready to go. I was ready to go. And so when the time came for me to step on that plane from Seattle to Coma, Air, uh, Seattle to Coma Airport, because I'm from Washington State, um, when the time came for me to go to, from Seattle to Coma Airport to Newark Liberty uh, International Airport and say goodbye to my friends, goodbye to my family and everything familiar, I also said goodbye to God, goodbye to my religious experience. This uh, fear of hell and this scare me but spare me religion isn't enough to keep me in the church. So I went to college and I loved it. I loved the brilliance of my professors. I loved the academic prestige of Princeton University. I loved my diverse and interesting uh, classmates from all over the United States and all over the world. 
I loved it. But you see, something just wasn't quite right. I was learning from some of the greatest minds on the planet, and yet my mind was not refreshed through communing with the great minds of omnipotence, the God of all knowledge. I could say what I wanted, I could do what I wanted, I could eat what I wanted, I could go out when I wanted, I could come back when I wanted. I was free. And yet, my heart was enslaved, was in bondage to doubt, worry, and fear for the future. I had many so-called friends, but they were never around when I needed them. I could date whoever I wanted. Some of you still do. I could date whoever I wanted. But worldly relationships just left me feeling empty and hardened and cynical. I would spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, spend a lot of money on clothes. I used to spend like 15 minutes a day putting on my makeup. I used to just paint it on, like paint by the numbers or something. But underneath, I just felt so fake, so phony. I just wanted people to like me for who I was. People don't understand the pressure on women these days. It was difficult. I was even elected senator for the class of 2002. Eleven of us had run for office. I, I was only two, uh, one of two females, but I had I'd won the election, me and another uh, young man. People told me I had a promising future. But that wasn't enough for me. I wanted a plan for my life. I wanted direction. I felt like I was living without purpose. I wasn't happy. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked some of you can relate some of you are still conformed to this world even on the outside you can't tell you're conformed to its fashions you're conformed to its lust you're conformed to its entertainment to its customs to its goals and therefore you are also conformed to its stresses its burdens its miseries and if things don't change its fate that night I was walking home to my dorm room, I couldn't sleep. I, I, I lied awake in bed and I was just wondering, God, are you out there? Do you see this struggle that I'm going through? I, I want to change, but I don't know how. I feel like just one speck out of these seven billion people in this world. How do you notice me? God, do you care? I felt like I'd gone too far. I felt like I'd committed the unpardonable sin. I, I, I wondered if my persisting in a sinful lifestyle, if that was shutting Christ out. I just wanted to know that God cared. Little did I know that every soul is as fully known to Jesus as if he were the only one for whom the Savior died. The distress of everyone touches his heart. The cry for aid reaches his ear. He came to draw all men unto himself. He bids them follow me. And his spirit moves upon their hearts to draw them to come to him. I didn't know, but 
my crying after God had been led by God himself. God was drawing me to him. Because we are the gift of his Father and the reward of his work, Jesus loves us. He loves us as his children. He loves you. Heaven itself can bestow nothing greater, nothing better. Therefore, trust. It's from the Desire of Ages. Isaiah 49, 14 through 16 says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me. My Lord hath forgotten me. Those are my words. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Little did I know that as I was despairing and ready to give up, God was working to bring me back. Now, I had a Sabbath school teacher in Washington State, and God impressed her to pray for me. In fact, she used to pray for me every single morning. Every morning. In fact, the Lord would often wake her up in the middle of the night when I was doing something foolish. And he would tell her, Cheryl, pray for Andrea. Pray for Andrea. And you know what she used to do? She didn't just roll over in bed and say, I'm tired. She would pray for me. She, would, she told me she used to pray and pray and pray until the burden went away. She did that many times. And I know that those prayers are the reason why I'm in the church today. There's a lesson in that, young people. If God impresses upon you to pray someone, for someone, if he wakes you up in the middle of the night to say, pray for this person, you better do it. I know someone, a church member who said that God had woken her up in the, in the middle of the night and said, pray for this person. They're in trouble. She went back to sleep and she learned later that at that very moment that person was being murdered. You don't know what's happening. You got to pray. You can catch up on your sleep. You stay up all night to do homework. Can't you stay up and pray for a soul? It's their salvation. Cheryl prayed for me. And that's why I'm here. And to make a long story short, that summer of 1999, I gave my life to the Lord. I started studying the Bible again. I started praying. In fact, I still remember my first prayer. It went something like this. Lord... I don't know if you hear me. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. But God, I am giving you my heart today. Lord, but there's just one condition. You see, God, I'm tired of going back and forth. I need you to keep me faithful. Please, Lord, help me to be a Christian. And God has been honoring that prayer. Now, I want to say God blessed me spiritually. He blessed me socially. He gave me really good friends. He also blessed me academically. And I say that because I know that many of you young people are, are um, what should I say, stressed out about grades. In fact, a lot of you just finished your final exams. And uh, I hope you did well. <laughs> Anyway, I've been there. I've been there so I can relate. 
But, but some of you don't spend the time that you should with the Lord because you're too worried about grades. You don't do ministry because you're worrying about getting that A. Well, yeah, I, I'm going to take a, a short but very important detour because I, I want to show you how God blessed me when I, when I gave my life to him and made him first. I had a class my junior year at Princeton called American Political Thought. And we were reading some of the great works of political philosophy. We're reading de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, some works by John Locke. Uh, We were also reading Hobbes' Leviathan and many other works. And at the end of that semester, we had a final exam. And it was a three-hour exam. And that that year, I was really hit. I had exams back-to-back. In fact, it was back-to-back to to (laughs) back-to-back. It was... Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Monday. And I said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Because I was very busy in ministry. I was, I was going door to door in Trenton, um, in the ghettos in Trenton. I was doing Bible studies with people. I was praying with people. I was handing out gospel literature. I was also doing uh, Bible studies on campus and, you know, with the campus ministry. And I was also doing my studies on top of that. And I said, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. Because I really need to do well in this class, if you know what I mean. It was a big part of my grade. <laughs> and so before the exam, my professor handed out uh, a list of seven questions. And he said, of these seven questions, they're very difficult. They're very involved. They required a lot of research and reading and reviewing of my notes. He said, I'm handing you these seven questions. And of these seven questions, I'm going to choose six of those questions. I'm going to put them on the exam. And then he said, I'm going to pair these uh, six questions up. And you will have to answer one question from each pair. Does that make sense? You following me? But he said, I'm going to pair these questions up at random. So you are essentially going to have to prepare to answer all the questions because you don't know how I'm going to pair them up. I said, well, thanks a lot. That didn't help me. And so I go to the Lord and, you know, studying. And then you know, it came to be the night before the exam. I think that exam was on a Thursday night. And uh, I, uh, I said, Lord, I need some help. And, I, I, you know, Lord, I, I just need you to help me to know what to study. And I prayed and I said, Lord, um, please honor your maidservant. Please help me to do well for your sake. And I sat down with those, those questions and uh, I said, well, if I were my professor, what would I do? I said, I think you will pair up questions number one and six, two and seven, three and five. And I don't think question number four is going to be on there. And then I said, well, I'm most prepared to answer question number one out of one and six. I'm more ready to answer question number seven out of two and seven. And best prepared to answer question number three. And then I just studied those the rest of the night. 9.30, went to bed. Wanted to honor the health laws. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> we've got a health seminar. You guys should go. Um, and yeah, I, I, just, I went to bed. Next, mor- next day, I went to that final exam. And uh, the moment of truth had come and the professor uh, handed out the exam and he put it face down and it was, you know, moment of truth. I was trying to get heart palpitations, but I said, trust in God, Andrew, trust in God. And, uh, that fateful moment came and he said, you have three hours to complete this exam. You may begin. And, 
I always pray before I take exams. And I said, Lord, I know you've helped me this far. I know that you're going to help me now. Please help me to remember what I can. And please help me to honor you even in taking this exam. I flipped over the paper. You want to finish the story for me? It was exactly the way I planned it. Questions number one and six, two and seven, three and five. Four was nowhere to be found. I just put down everything I studied the night before. And God provided for my needs. I have so many stories like that. So many stories about how God blessed. You know, pull me aside during GYC if you're struggling, if you're uh, not doing too well in your academics. I could tell you story after story after story about how God blessed me. But my main purpose for telling you that story is to free up some of your time. Do you know what I mean? Some of you are not studying your Bibles. Some of you are not doing ministry, and you know it. And you need to, because you're not going to take a transcript to heaven. You know, your uh, being on the dean's list is not going to get you a better mansion. And you, you need to get your priorities straight. You know, Israel was talking about the difference between, uh, you know, talking about identity, the difference between being a, a, a fisher and, uh, what was he saying? Fishing and, and being a fisherman. Thank you. And uh, there's a difference. You know, I am, I do law. I was recently, uh, I recently took my oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. I'm licensed to practice law in New Jersey and in the, the federal courts for the Third Circuit. I do law. But I am a Christian. I am a Seventh-day Adventist. I am a gospel worker. And my first priority is to win souls. My second priority is everything else. That needs to be your, uh, your stance too. And the reason is because there is such a tremendous need out there. Such a tremendous need. A man by the name of William Ellery Channing once said, every man is a volume if you know how to read them. And I would add that across the pages of many a human volume are written the words, the words of desperation, help me. And God has sent you to help. Yeah, I, I was... In my dorm room one night at Princeton, I was walking by a girl's bathroom, and something made me to stop. Something wasn't quite right. I, I just stood there, and I heard the faucet going full blast. And I heard the toilet flushing over and over and over again. And I heard this awful gagging. And it just happened over and over and over again. The, the faucet going full blast, this gagging like someone was vomiting and then the toilet would flush. I just stood there for about 20, 30 minutes listening to this. And then out comes a friend of mine. And she could just tell by the look on my face that I was very disturbed. And she, she just confided. She was bulimic. She, she would just turn on the faucet, full blast, and drowned out the sound of her vomiting. And she flushed the toilet over and over and over again. She looked so perfect on the outside, a beautiful person, very talented. But little did people know that on the inside, she had so many problems, family problems, 
issues with her self-image, very stressed by the hardships of life. And she would just, almost every day, she would just lean over the porcelain and just vomit her troubles, her pain, her life away. It broke my heart. Every man is a volume if you know how to read them. On the pages of many a volume are written the words, help me. I knew another young man, good friends of mine, ladies, he was tall, dark, and handsome, athletic builds, but he had a confession. He told me one day, Andrew, I have a problem. I said, what's your problem? He said, I am addicted to sex. And it's all that I can think about. All I think about is when I can get it next and from whom. And it is an obsession that is taking over my life. Here he was, a picture of masculinity. He couldn't even control himself. Every man is a volume if you know how to read him. I have other friends that I could tell you about. Drink their sorrows away. Try to drown them out with drugs. Whether it be cocaine heroin, ecstasy, marijuana. These aren't people on the streets. These are, are, my, are my classmates. One person, he was telling me about his drug of choice, and he was saying, Andrew, the reason why I do this is because it's the only way I can feel loved. This you know, life is so hard, but when I, when I do this drug, I feel so warm inside And I feel like I'm being loved. But once that high wore off, he would drop to such satanic depths that I'm I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't committed suicide. It's It's a miracle of God that he's alive today. William Ellery Channing once said that a man is a volume if you know how to read him. And on the pages of many a human volume are written the words, Help me. God has sent us to help them. Whether you are a frontier missionary or whether you're a college student or whether you are walking the streets of Wall Street with your attache case and cufflinks and tie clip and expensive suit, you are a minister of the gospel if you're a Christian. I'm going to read to you a passage that I think is going to shock many of you. I don't think many of you have heard it but I think it will present to us a sober reality. It's taken from Reflecting Christ, page 243. Last night a scene was presented before me. I may never feel free to reveal all of it, but I will reveal a little. It seems that an immense ball of fire came down upon the world and crushed large houses. From place to place rose the cry, The Lord has come! The Lord has come! Many were unprepared to meet him, but a few were saying, Praise the Lord! Why are you praising the Lord, inquired those upon whom was coming sudden destruction? Because we see what we have been looking for. Listen to the response of the lost. If you believe that these things were coming, why did you not tell us? Was a terrible response. We did not know about these things. Why did you leave us in ignorance? Again and again you have seen us. Why did you not become acquainted with us and tell us of the judgment to come? And that we must serve God lest we perish. 
Now we are lost. Let that sink in. Listen. Every church member is to train the intellect in order that he may gain a clear understanding of the will of God concerning him. Everyone is to educate the voice that he may communicate a knowledge of the scriptures to those who are in ignorance. May God help us to stand like Daniel in our lot and place during the days of probation that remain. I propose to you that the people in this passage are not nameless, obscure faces with no names. You know who they are? They're your organic chemistry professor. Why didn't you tell me? They're the kid who, it's the kid who sits next to you in comp lit. Again and again, you've seen me in class. Why don't you tell me? It's, it's the custodian who walks down the hall in your dorm every day, emptying your trash. Why didn't you tell me? It's your supervisor. It's your boss. It's your coworker. Why didn't you tell me? Cause I'm too busy shuffling these files. I'm too busy trying to get an A. Your salvation wasn't important enough to me. What if Cheryl hadn't prayed for me? I hate to think about what if when God woke her up in the middle of the night, she said, God, I am too tired. You know what would have happened? You would have another executive secretary. Someone else would be speaking to you right now. And I would be out there lost. I thank God for Cheryl's sacrifice. I thank God that through her prayers, I got my life back. Who knows? I could be six feet under waiting for the second resurrection right now. Why don't you tell these people? You know, the, you know, some of us, we get so nervous. We don't know what to say. Yeah, I don't know if these people are going to listen to me. I'm afraid. I'm intimidated. We need to suck it up. We need to find a way to tell people. There are many who need the ministration of loving Christian hearts, many who have gone down to ruin who might have been saved if their neighbors, common men and women, had put forth personal effort for them. Many are waiting to be personally addressed in the very family, the neighborhood, the town where we live. There's work for us to do as missionaries for Christ. If we are Christians, this work will be our delight. There are many wonderful things that we'll be able to look forward to in heaven. Many great things that we'll be able to do. But the one good thing that we cannot do in heaven is lead souls to Jesus. Do it now. Don't let your studies, don't let your obligations get in the way. Be nonconformist. I'm going to leave you with this passage that Dr. Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke some 43 years ago that applies with equal force today. This hour in history needs a dedicated circle of transformed nonconformists. Dangerous passions of pride, hatred, and selfishness are enthroned in our lives. Truth lies prostrate on the rugged hills of nameless calvaries. The saving of our world from pending doom will come, not through the complacent adjustments of the conforming majority, but through the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. Be non-conformist. Bring joy to Christ. Thank you so much.
that we are Seventh-day Adventists at this time in Earth's history. Lord, what a privilege we have to be co-laborers together with you, the great omnipotence of the universe. Oh God, you are so good to us. Father, we repent for how unfaithful we've been in spreading the gospel to those we know. Oh Lord, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. Help us to redeem the time that we have, the precious time that we have. Please give us, Jesus, your burden for souls. Please give us your burden for souls, dear Lord. Help us be more faithful in doing ministry and to trust everything else in our lives to you. Heavenly Father, we do not have that much time. Father, I believe that in each heart here, there's at least one person that we can think of, one person that's coming to mind who we can reach out to. Lord, as we leave Joy, see, we pray that this uh, message does not leave our minds, but we pray that you'll continue to inspire us to work for you. We, we know that we read in, in Christ's object lessons that angels are waiting. Angels are waiting and are willing to cooperate with our efforts and will help us to win the most careless and even the most hardened of hearts. Lord, we know that with you all things are possible. And we know that you will uh, work with us as we work to labor for souls. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Oh, that's it. Just go ahead over there. Over there?